Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 340, recorded April 11th, 2021. So today we're doing something that's a little sad, which is finishing off the Star Trek New Visions miniseries. So we only have one unique story, which was issue number 22. And then they also did a adaptation of The Cage, which was a, a one-shot annual type sized uh, issue. So we'll not really talk about it. We'll talk about it, but we won't synopsize it because we assume you've already watched the show. Right. This is another ongoing series that we're checking off. Finished. Yep, another check. And it is too bad because Byrne just pours his body and soul into these things. Finding all that great footage and bringing it together and combining it with new things that he creates to the magic of whatever packages he's using um, right. to create all these. It's just amazing. Yeah, there's In particular, there's some things I'll comment on later where some of the shots he put together, it's just like, wow, he really sweated the details on this one, uh, how he uh, assembled it. Anyway. Right. Yeah, and, and it must be so much... I would think that it's more time-consuming, especially for somebody like him who can mm -hmm. actually draw and things like that. He's he's a very talented artist. Mm -hmm. To have to scour and look for the you know the perfect frame to mm -hmm. then borrow from and, and put into your comic. For somebody like me, that's probably the only way I could do it because I can't draw very well at all. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but for him, I mean, he's an accomplished artist. I wonder how often he's doing it going, I could just draw it. <laughs> Well, he's creating some of the aliens and ships and things, but he's drawing that with like a package, right? I mean, he's not drawing it freehand. Right. Probably, probably not. Okay. But still. But yeah, no, it's, this, is, this is it. I hope, hope they bring it back as a special or something later. I have no idea why they canceled it at 22 or ended it at 22, but maybe he was just tired of it. I can see him wanting to move on to different things. Right. Like a shark. Always changing, always moving forward. Yeah, because I can see I can see him not getting out much. This this would be a good COVID comic or <laughs> this uh, could be a book to do. <laughs> I'm just going to stay locked in my office forever, pulling right. all this together. He must be really sick of watching Star Trek. Because when you, you ever get sick of watching it, no. oh god! Never. But he must be. Oh my god! I mean, for, first off, for him to have all these, you know, he has he has a story idea. And then he knows the panel he wants to put together, and he's got to think, hmm, three seasons worth of stuff to go to. So he must have this, the whole thing in his head, or right. enough of it in his head, that he could say, you know, I think there was something in Wolf in the Fold that we could use here. Okay, let me go and watch it. Uh, oh, there it is. That's what I was thinking of. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like amazing. No, it is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. All right. You want to just jump into it then? Let's do it. All right. So the final issue, issue 22, came out June of 2018. As always, the photo montage is by John Byrne, created by Gene Roddenberry, edited by Chris Royale with Scott Dunbuyer. 
and editorial assists by Chase Morose. This issue is entitled, An Unexpected Yesterday. The cover shows Kirk McCoy, Spock, and Lieutenant Carol Palamis looking into the Guardian of Forever. And within the smoky visage of the Guardian, we see Gary Seven with Isis on his shoulder, and then we see a group of glowing aliens behind him. So the story starts with the Enterprise arriving to the planet where the Guardian of Forever is. There's been some strange readings from the surrounding area that has got the research group that's in an orbiting space station stumped. Kirk McCoy and Spock beam over to the station and they meet with the leader and also a familiar looking woman named Lieutenant Carolyn Palamas, who we have not seen since she left the Enterprise after having Apollo's baby. If you remember that, that story a while back. I remember. Yep. So readings on the station are inconclusive, so Kirk, McCoy, and Spock decide to beam down. Kirk speaks to the Guardian directly, who tells him that the past is changing by way of a method unknown to him. The Guardian pinpoints the anomaly happens in the early 21st century. And then I'm just guessing that maybe around 2018, which is when this book came out. Kirk and Spock then hop through the portal while McCoy and the newly arrived Palamas will monitor from the outside. As soon as Spock and Kirk hop through, they are greeted by a 2018 world very similar to our own, not the post-World War III hellscape that they were expecting. They attempt to check back in, but the communication seems to be patchy at best. Meanwhile, back in the normal timeline, McCoy asks Ohora and Scotty to beam down to the planet and help them with the communications gear. So we go back to the 21st century. Spock speculates that they are on a parallel Earth and not the one from their prime universe's past. A voice to the side of them says that they'll all figure it out together just before the duo are frozen in place with a tong sound. Meanwhile, the Enterprise is being bombarded with time distortions that are tearing both the ship and the space station apart. Sulu uses every skill he has to weave through the time distortion minefield, towing the injured space station along with it. As soon as they're free of the time distortions, they beam everybody off the station just as it explodes. Meanwhile, in the 21st century, Spock and Kirk are taken to Gary Seven's base. Here they learn that they have never met this Gary Seven. He's from a different parallel timeline, so knows nothing of their adventures in the 60s. They agree to work together, and through some scans, they find the location of the disturbances. It's a small family home in the suburbs. They make their way there and into the basement of the house to find a steampunk-looking device. The inventor of the device shows up and with a gun trained on him, saying that he can take them out, even with this antique weapon. Meanwhile, Scotty and Palamas get tired of waiting, and they also hop through the portal themselves. This time, they arrive into the Prime Universe's post-World War III 2000s. Palamas then falls through some debris and is skewered by what looks like a piece of rebar. Meanwhile, in the nice 2000s, the inventor says that he had help building his device to see into the future from some interdimensional friends. These aliens then pop up, glowing a bright white. The aliens say that they are in charge now, and they shoot Seven along with the inventor. Kirk and Spock fight these beings, but 
every time they touch them, they burn. So they are eventually both shot down as well. With the four men captured and being held up against a wall, the aliens gloat, not seeing that in the shadows is a black cat. As Gary yells Isis's name, the cat jumps on the back of the lead alien, and then the four men pounce upon the aliens, and together they are able to subdue all of the transdimensional aliens. Meanwhile, McCoy and Ohora also seem to get tired of waiting, and they too jump through the portal to find themselves in the world that Scotty and the wounded Palamas are in. Scotty does what he can for the woman, but he says that the injury may be fatal due to the irradiated bacteria that's getting into the wound. Meanwhile, in the suburbs, the inventor says that he only wanted to explore the universe through his device. And when he was contacted by the aliens, they must have somehow influenced his mind so that he would help them. He sees the error of his ways. Spock is able to mind meld with one of the creatures, and the two of them figure out what must be done. The device must be shut off, but only in a certain way to prevent the time from imploding. Knowing that it's a death sentence, the inventor does what he can to get the device to implode, and this burns him beyond all recognition, and he dies shortly later, after the explosion. And then, abruptly, the next page just shows the crew back to the normal time. Palamas is recovering nicely in the medical bay, and she learns that her demigod son was saved from the exploding space station. An explosion that seems to have never happened, because the space station has now been reformed as well. Scotty says that he's going to take some time off to spend at the station and make sure that Palamas is doing just well. Spock and McCoy and Kirk leave, and he asks why Scotty would use his vacation time in such a way. Surely they have engineers on the station. Kirk hints that Scotty still has a thing for Palamas after that one coffee they had together several issues back. McCoy ends the issue by saying, how do they know that they are in the correct timeline? Or is this just yet another new timeline? Causing this reader to speculate, maybe Kirk's name is James R. Kirk again. Maybe Spock was eaten by a giant cat as a child. Maybe all the whales are killed. Maybe McCoy's daughter is a doctor. Or maybe she's a zoologist. Or maybe she's just a kid. Maybe Sam Kirk had three kids, or just one. The possibilities are endless. The end. Wow, you really, you made the most out of that opening door that McCoy made. <laughs> exactly, those are just some of the things that I thought might have changed in this new timeline. Yeah, well, it was a very nice way to end it with that door open and making the reader think. Exactly. And you thunk, I must say. <laughs> yeah, I did look in the background a lot of those last few panels just to see if maybe he was throwing in some Easter egg that something wasn't quite right. But, mm. uh, I never saw anything. anything. Yeah. It would have been cool to see, like, you know, maybe McCoy wearing the Kelvin uniform or something like that. Oh. That would have been kind of funny. <laughs> right. Or maybe some actor in the background being a Kelvin actor and not a prime actor. Anyways, uh, I just thought it was very abrupt, that last page. Just the explosion, the guy dies, and then you turn the page and everything's normal. Yeah. Well, burn, press the magic reset button. Something that was so popular in TNG. But it was kind of interesting how far Burn reset things, right? Because there were times in TNG when the reset button was pressed and everything was back to the beginning of the episode and nobody remembered anything. 
Um, But this one is like, okay, um, Palamas is still injured, right? right? Uh, But the space station didn't get destroyed. Exactly. So the space station is back to normal, but the crew of the space station, and I hope Palamas' daughter also, is still on the Enterprise. So it's it's interesting to see how far the reset went. Right. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Plus, how did they get there? I mean, did the Guardian pull them back out of the two timelines and put them back on their ships? I think they insinuated that, but I thought the Guardian just shows things. He doesn't do anything. You know, well, he just... at, at the City of Edge of Forever, how did they get back? How did they know to Well, jump you know, we board? talked about this before, and they never... I don't think they ever broached. They only, I don't think they ever explained it. Right. It just shows them jumping back through. Right. And there was a comic that we read not all that long ago where, again, the Guardian was there. Right. And I think in the comic they said, ooh, they need to get back to the place where they entered the past. Right. just get to the same place and somehow they'd be swept up again. But they didn't really 100% say that either. But they did say they had to come back to that exact, exact spot. Right. Them to get yeah, back. that that was that gold key issue. It, right, exactly. So, right, yeah. So I don't know. I just would have liked some sort of transition from from the uh, past back to the future, not just turn the page and pop. There, there, there. Everybody's there. There you go. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, it, and it is a bad picture of Palamas too. It's she's very cut and pasted to whatever whoever that really is laying in sick bay. Right, it is not her. <laughs> There's there's some panels that look so good. Right. And there are some other panels that's like heads are really just stuck on totally different bodies. Like there's a lot of panels with Seven in it where his head is just obviously planted on a, on a new person's body that has a leather jacket on that he's got no neck. So it's like okay, this is this is okay, I get it. That's fine. This is just a little a little overboard. Right. Some of the cutting and pasting is good, and some of the cutting and pasting, not so much. Right. Yeah. It, it never took me out of the story. I, no, I mean, no. I mean, just with any comic book story, no, no comic book looks just like, you know, there's. it's never going to look like reality, right? And then it's not supposed sure. to, right? That's not the medium. Sure. Uh, so it never takes me out of the story, but, but yeah, there's a few shots. There's one shot where, like, the background looks like it's like an old 70s Polaroid type picture of the background with oh, really? with a copy paste of Kirk and Spock on it. It's on page 13 right before they get talked. I want to talk about that too. Okay. Yeah, cool. what is with that picture of the SUV and stuff in the parking lot? It's just like that photo looks like what I get from the pictures that my family had developed from the 70s and stuff. It's just <laughs> very like kind of washed out. Well, yeah, okay. Monochrome. Exactly. So, I think the one you're talking about is near the bottom it's uh, and yeah. and there's like a rose colored tint kind of on the background but not on the background. not Kirk's yeah. yeah. That rose colored tint is in my experience is totally just the the print aging. Right. So whatever they used for the photo paper and stuff and and you know to to, to make the image and everything if it's not kept properly or maybe the way you store it doesn't matter, but it does get that color. I've got pictures right. From from my parents like that with that kind of thing. So Byrne must have taken this maybe from his own family history. I don't know. But that's not true because look at the cars. They're very contemporary cars. I mean that, well, that SUV that is 
Yeah, that's a pretty common. I mean, I mean, that all these cars are from the early 2000s. Maybe, maybe 2000. Maybe uh, even now. maybe, maybe. Those yeah. could have been taken today. Mm, with a lot of older cars. Yeah, it's possible. Older cars around because that second, the, the first sedan from the left, that's right next to the SUV. That looks yeah. like a Maxima. It looks like my father's old Maxima. And that was a nineteen late nineteen nineties car. But okay. the SUV that's right next to it looks more looks more contemporary, but right. you know, not not the current year. Maybe not the current year, but maybe the looks pretty pretty recent though. Yeah. More recent than that picture should have been faded like that. Yeah, that's what, what I thought at first, did, too. Did he like, actually do is, that? I mean, did he... Maybe this is like an old photo from his family, and then I started looking at the pictures, and I'm... Or and the, the cars, cars and I'm like, recent. well, they don't look that old. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But it was just a weird... Well, why, so there are... I think there are out-of-the-box filters you can put on photos that have been digitized oh, yeah. that you can do things like that, although why you would want to do things like this... I mean, you like sepia to make it look like an 1800s kind of old west thing. Okay, fine. I don't know why you would want to put a filter of this faded rose-colored whatever. Um, but maybe, maybe he used a filter. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. Because I the next go. one, where it does go tong, <laughs> there is no fading involved. Uh, and also, the cars might be even newer in general. Anyway, but there's another part where, uh, on page 10, where it's a long, it's a very wide, but, but not very tall shot. So it's a very panoramic shot. Right. That shows Kirk and Spock walking down a, a street, uh, you know, a, a normal kind of, you know, maybe of a retail area of, of a street. And they, there's cars in front of them. And if you look at those cars, so there's a Range Rover and there's, a, I, I, th- I think, a, an Altima maybe. I don't know, an older Altima. So there's a variety of different cars involved, a, a Chevy pickup truck. Mm-hmm. And some of them look pretty recent and some of them look older. But it looks like Byrne just went out and, and got a relatively recent photo, maybe not 2018, but maybe 2018, and just got a photo and at first, I look really close because Kirk and Spock are there, like on the other side of the cars, so you can only see their torsos and heads. Right. And it's like, did he just have somebody, two guys, get dressed up as Kirk and Spock? But I'm I'm trying to look at it closely, and so no, that really looks like Kirk and Spock. Yeah, no, they, he copy and pasted them in there. Exactly, Kirk copy and pasted extremely cleanly, Kirk and Spock. And who knows? Maybe this is a you know yeah. Uh, like with Photoshop and stuff, they've got the whole thing of layers. Sure. So maybe the buildings were one layer, and then maybe the, the cars are another layer, and then Kirk and Spock are like in the middle layer. But right. that looks really clean, how he's put yeah. that together. And I liked how he's fuzzed out all the license plates. Oh, 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 that's a good point. Yeah, you'd want to, yeah, it's probably a good thing. You can almost make it out on the panel right above that one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, but he definitely he definitely fuzzed that out because it's pretty close of the back of the car. Right, but he, I zoomed in. He fuzzed out all these other ones. Too. Okay, okay, cool. Okay, spe- we can't we can't track them down. Uh, speaking of zooming in, uh, so this is completely off on a tangent. But Palamas, Lieutenant Palamas, her uniform, which is typical Starfleet, but mm-hmm. she's got her. They make it very clear that she's got the patch of the uh, research team or whatever. 
or maybe it's a space station patch. I don't know for sure. But obviously, it's, it's different from the Enterprise. So that was cool. But I'm looking at it going, boy, that is like a bright orange background. And it's like, what is it supposed to be? Did you zoom in on it to take a closer uh, look? I tried. I couldn't figure out what it was. Because uh, I know this is not it, but it almost looks like a can of Duff beer orbiting around a black, a black pearl planet or something. It's like, what? What is it supposed to be? Duff beer. Duff beer. Because it's it's cylindrical, right? And then like a beer can would, and then some green parts that kind of look like a like a la- parts of a label. Anyway, that's what I saw. Oh, actually, I know what it is. It's what a, is it? Is it a it's an hourglass. Oh, it's an hourglass. Yeah, oh, so you see the two like parallel red lines that are kind of like at a, at a slant? Okay. That's the top and bottom of the hourglass, and then the the okay. blue thing is... The uh, sands? The sand in the sand going through okay. it, yeah. And then cool. behind that is a big eyeball. Oh, it's an eyeball? Yeah, so it's an <laughs> eyeball with a brown iris. Okay. A pupil, and then above the, above that and below it is the uh, the weird hourglass. Thing. Okay, and and that's and the hourglass because they research the guardian. Guardian, I'm assuming so. Okay, but yeah, it does look weird because it looks like a you know, it looks like a you know a happy face, but it's a big. It's not like a patch. It looks like it's a big like plastic button that they're nah. on. <laughs> right. Yeah, it really stands out. Um, you really can't miss it. But yeah. yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. Yeah, it looked a little weird. But oh well. Yeah. L- at least he was keeping it consistent with Taz, which is not everybody has the Starfleet suit. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's what ship specific, or whatever, or well, sometimes mission, you're mission specific. well mission specific. Really? Okay. Where you were assigned to specifically. Well, like you were okay, so to today... Yeah, I guess, I guess well, it would be the, the, the thing you're assigned to, the space station or the ship. Okay. Yeah, because definitely today in NASA, they have mission-specific patches. No two ways about that. Right. But, um, okay, I got another quick comment. The uh, Commander Kellaway, who's in charge of the research team up on the space station, his lime green and purple jumpsuit, Pajamas, yeah. Pajamas makes him look uh, basically like a like a Riddler or Joker henchman. Definitely. Which, which they had jumpsuits like this in Taws. Uh, I think Devil in the Dark had it like that, but I don't remember. Did they have such a bright kind of color scheme in those? I don't recall. I thought they were more like normal colors. But I thought it was interesting. Very comic bookish colors. Uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't like suit. it. I just assumed it was from the old show. Yeah. So I was I was giving it it's it's uh you know I was giving it a pass, but <laughs> not a fan. <laughs> yeah, he might have mucked with the colors, or maybe he didn't. I don't recall. But right. So do you not think it was weird that he brought in Palamas? I mean, I know that we talked about it back when she was in that one episode mm-hmm. or that one issue. Right. That it just seemed weird that Scotty's all in love with her for yeah. no reason. Do you think it's weird that he continues that here? I mean, they went out for coffee once. Well, but right. he just liked the character. But I guess. God, he seemed to have a thing for in Who Mourns for Adonis. Yeah, that's it. They, yeah. He, he asked her to 
they had coffee or they were going to have coffee before she got went down to the planet and right. got raped or whatever happened with her and Adonis, <laughs> Apollo. Uh, and then she comes back to the ship and and then and in that issue, she has the baby. But even Scotty's still like, am I going to raise the baby? And I'm like, uh... you know, we're like, you went out for lunch once. You know, right. it's just like, you're really jumping the gun there, Scotty. <laughs> but I guess, I guess he, he loves her. Or he likes her. He likes her a lot. So it's like, uh, Scotty, you're going to... It's great you like her and stuff, but, I mean, you let her go once, obviously. Um, so what What are you going in again for? I mean, unless you're going to actually make some kind of commitment, which he never does, obviously. Right. So it's like, huh. Uh, anyway. Right. Yeah, he's not going to leave. I mean, I guess maybe he thinks... Well, she lives on this station with the kids, so maybe yeah, I the kid. maybe I could still be in Starfleet and, and be on, on the things. station. Yeah, no. I don't know. I mean, we know he doesn't. But. No, but who knows what's in that Northerner's mind? But I did like that they at least brought up the kid that uh, was reading and everything after just yes. being years old. Continuity. Yeah, because so. at the end of that episode, uh, it's like, well, what the heck? I mean, is this going to be a Charlie X thing or something? You know, the kid's going to be half God and have all these powers and just not going to use them the right way? and Or, or is it going to be a normal kid? It's like all these things were going through my mind as I'm watching that episode. Um, well, the, the kid's not involved in the. It was only in the uh, comic that implies that she had a kid, right? I thought, it, I thought it was in the original episode. Mind you, I've not seen the original episode in a long time. Now, but, when, we did the, when we did the comic book, I did go back and rewatch the show. Uh, there's no kid in the show. That? Oh, okay. It's only in the John Byrne photo montage. That okay. Well, then it, then it came to my mind when we were doing the montage. When we were right. doing the Byrne yeah. one. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, but that was all going through my head. And so, um, it's interesting to find out a little bit more about what happened. With sure. her and the kid. Yeah, so hopefully hopefully she's making it work. Yeah. And he's not going to turn out to be like a Q or something where he's all no. evil. Or Trelane. I guess it's more Trelane than Q. Or Charlie X. Yeah, or Charlie X. Now, Charlie X is having the benefit. But Charlie X did not have the benefit of real parents where this kid's going to have the uh, benefit of the lieutenant. Hiding him in his... and maybe Scotty, and maybe Scott, or maybe the the guy in charge of the space station, right? Because they did mention something about him, Callaway kind of taking the kid under his wing or a little bit, right? Right. So, anyways, so did you get the Doctor Who vibe from this Gary Seven? Oh, completely. But then, okay. So now that you bring that up, when we first see that Seven's there, and did he kidnap Kirk and Spock? I was first thinking, and then, then found out that Seven didn't have any idea who Kirk and Spock were. I was definitely doing the, the timey-wimey Doctor Who thing. Like, oh, so this is before they met? Wait, this is the 21st century, but I know they met in the 20th century. So this doesn't make sense unless Gary Seven can't travel in time, right? No. So anyway, but then... Spock said before they were kidnapped, parallel universe, so, okay, that must be it. But I definitely was doing Doctor Who, timey-wimey things in my head. <laughs> at first. 
And then his his outfit is very close to the Ninth Doctor's. I thought the leather jacket. Oh, oh, well, that's interesting point. Hmm. But his uh, he doesn't do a lot of stuff with the Sonic. In fact, it just kind of explodes in his hands the whole time (laughs) he tries to use it. Well, quite frankly, Seven wasn't that useful. I mean, it seemed like Spock and Kirk were doing everything. Spock was definitely coming up with ninety percent of the scientific conclusions, which is fine. Spock's a scientist; he's really smart and whatever. But Seven has the benefit of all this uh, advanced alien uh, knowledge that he's been drilled with, right? So, yeah, but they wouldn't have gotten nearly as far as they did without ISIS. So she's really the MVP of the. That's agreed. But she never turns into a human throughout the whole thing. Exactly. Maybe the first time we've seen ISIS never turn human. And when ISIS attacked the aliens, wouldn't it be a little more logical if she was, like, in her human form? I mean, especially that human form in the Year 5 version that was, like, slicing up red shirts? Where she could turn into the Hatholian version. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I, I I didn't want to go that far. But the main point is... As a human, but she still had, like, claws and stuff, and she was, like, slicing up red shirts in that Year 5 issue. Sure. Come, come, back, come back like that, and oh, you'll be a force to be reckoned with, not this little cat. Who's, yeah, well, this came jumping. out before Year 5. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 but I'm not saying they're... they're I'm not linking the stories at all. No, I know, I'm I just know, saying I... that a human form probably would have... Even a, a lovely thin lady form would probably be more formidable than a little cat. That's true. But the cat has less surface area to burn when it when it jumps on him. Because you got to think that when she's jumping on him, her little paws are being burned up too. Mm. And she has Because they said every time they touch him, they've burned. Yeah. She does have claws too. So, And as I'm sure you're aware, cat's claws can be pretty nasty. Yep. Yeah, you don't want to get on the wrong end of the cat. <laughs> yeah, they'll tear you up. <laughs> they'll slice you pretty good before you drop kick them. Uh, so, do you think this is John Byrne's house or just uh, oh, wh- some where random the guy, house? Where the scientist picture? is, or the yeah. the inventor, whatever? The inventor, yeah, <laughs> maybe that could be. Yeah, and who's the guy, the scientist? So obviously he's. A friend of his, or maybe he's an actor. Who knows? Right. Who knows? But but he's a real guy specific for this issue. Um, yeah, that could be Burns. Yeah, they do get a couple of credits. Uh, Bud Purvis Prevenost and Sean Hannon. So he's probably one of those two guys. Okay. So and who's? Where did the other? Where was the other guy? So obviously the the the, the inventor, whatever. So obviously, yeah, he's one maybe of them. the the guy from the space station. The one in the pajamas? Oh, the guy that... But but he's from Star Trek. So Oh, that guy's actually been in Star Trek? He's been in Star Trek. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he, he's, a, he's an actor that was in all kinds of things back in the 60s. Oh, okay. However, I'm not sure if it's the same, but there are two places. If you go to page 14... Now, I'm not sure if I'm right or not, but... At the very top, where it says, Thung! And then right. uh, Sulu's jumping out of his seat. Mm-hmm. The two guys at helm, the helmsman and the uh, navigator. Right. Now, they could have been, you know, background uh, supporting actors in Star Trek. I just don't recognize them. Uh, they don't look familiar. Yeah. 
So, I don't know. Is one of those guys the second actor? I don't know. But... Yeah, I don't know. Could be. Could be. Could be. Could be. Can I take us to The Guardian? The scenes with The Guardian? Yep, sure. Two things I want to make a comment on. Number one, there is a particular panel where they show The Guardian and then uh, the terrific trio in front of them. And then they... But it's kind of like far away a little bit. And you see going up the hill and into the distance, you see a bunch of ruins. Okay. Uh, let me see. What page is that on? Um, it would have been one of the early ones. Yeah, it's on first... page eight. Page eight. Okay, let me get back to the Right. Yeah, perfect. That's it. Upper right-hand corner of page eight. So it looks a little crowded, but it's kind of cool how Byrne went ahead and put more ruins into the, into the uh, panel. At least I like it. Right. No, that's cool. Because when I went back and rewatched this part of the beginning parts, the first ones in um, Sitting on the Edge of Forever, where they're first interacting and trying to figure out what the structures are, and just before a question happens, um, I'm looking around for ruins. Because I don't remember there being a lot of ruins. I mean, I remember like, like columns and stuff around the Guardian, but I don't remember a lot of things in the background. Yeah, I don't either. And so I went back and looked, and really, indeed, yeah, there's a lot of columns and and ruins right there with the Guardian, but the only thing really that I saw in the distance was just like one set of columns in the distance, uh, like at the top of a ridge or something, and that is it. You know, nothing as elaborate as Byrne put into that panel. Anyway, just want to so make that observation. are those extra things there because of the time displacements or just uh, uh, artistic no, not, I don't, I don't. I'm not saying that. Maybe. Maybe. But I think, I think Byrne just decided to put more into it. Because right. one thing that does happen is when they first beam down, one of the first things out of Kirk's mouth about the ruins that extend to the horizon. So verbally, he's painting the picture of a bunch of ruins that is over a large area that extend to the ruins, to the, to the horizon, and perhaps beyond. So he hints at it verbally, but we never really see it, except for one little thin matte painting kind of thing. Okay. So maybe Byrne took that and just wanted to show more of the ruins. Ran with it. Right. Show more yeah. of the ruins that Kirk verbally alluded to. Well, that's good. That's what you, that's what makes comic books expansions so great. Is that exactly you get to do, get to do, do stuff that just just off screen? It really happened, but it was just just on the other side. Right. Love it. Yes, me too. I did. I did not catch that. Yeah. Well, talk about. Okay, one more thing I caught, and this is when I went back to just rewatch this part of the original TV episode. Okay. And so basically landing party lands in front of, you know, a little bit away from the Guardian, and then they're walking forward. So you see all the characters, their backs, and they're all walking towards the Guardian. So it's like, okay, cool, cool. And it's like, huh, I never noticed that before. So basically Ahura's, you see see Ahura from the back walking, and it's like, wow, that uniform miniskirt is really short. And sure enough, you can see her butt in some kind of red fabric. Like, I don't know if it's red panties 
and, and I don't want to sound like a like a creep here, you but are I'm just that line. I'm just <laughs> I'm just I couldn't help but not notice that. So it may not have been her red panties, but basically you can see her her butt in red panties. Okay, the dress is that short on her. Now, if you <laughs> go back and look at Palamas, for example, in the comic, the shots they have of her. Right. Her miniskirt's a good length, you know. You're not, I mean, it's, you know, it shows legs, but it's long enough that you're not going to see any butt cheeks. But <laughs> let me tell you something. Go back and look. Red butt cheeks. I, I believe you. I remember. I, I, it, it happened. Uh, Anahura. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's all I just wanted to say. <laughs> oh, that's funny. One of my favorite lines I think I've read in a comic book in a long time mm-hmm. is actually was in this issue. Okay, which, what's that? what is it? I think it's when McCoy is, aren't you worried about your planet being destroyed? And then the Guardian is like, as long as there's time, I'll still exist. You know, he doesn't need that planet. No. What? No, no he doesn't need the planet. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah but I no, I, I just love that line. Just like, I don't oh. care what happens to, to me. As long as there's time, I'll still exist. Oh, oh yeah, I, yeah. That's I kinda loved cool. that line. So, was, yeah. yeah. That was just the greatest... To me, I was just like, you know, I don't, I read a lot of comic books and very rarely do I be like, oh, wow, that was good. <laughs> but for whatever reason, that, that line hit me. My right. existence is not bound to this world. Right. So long as time exists, so shall I. The Ooh. assumption is that he originated on that planet and the ruins of the civilization that created him are on that planet. But he's a machine. There's no sentimentality there. And he can, yeah, and he can, uh. He exists beyond just the physical location he happens to be at. And as we see in uh, Discovery, eventually he even gets a body. A human right. body. And there's no way Byrne could have known that. But yeah. uh, but the Guardian wasn't uh, going to stay on that planet forever anyways. Exactly. There you go. Who knows? Maybe that line in this comic that was read by somebody who was writing for Discovery said, hey, he doesn't have to be bound to that planet. You can go anywhere. Right. Who knows? Probably not, but who knows? Probably not. Probably not. I do like how often the Guardian is used. I don't think he's overused where like uh you know, they use him to get out of every pickle that they're in. Mm-hmm. But I do like that, you know, he's come up at least twice now, three times if in all the television mm-hmm. series. And then he's shown up in the comic books. I mean, even Gold Key, which I was surprised Gold Key really had any nods to the characters or events in the show mm-hmm. but that was one of the few things that they went back and, and touched upon or, or expanded on mm-hmm. and then I think DC had uh, a Guardian series or Guardian story and uh, IDW's done it a couple times now I just and then in the books you know Imzadi was one of my favorite books written by Peter David mm-hmm. and, and in it has a future Riker using the Guardian to go back in time to try to keep Troy from being killed in the past, which oh, I, was I, I never read that book. Oh, really? It's, it's really good. Yeah, yeah, because cool. it's kind of a love triangle between current current Riker, Troy, and then old Riker. I think I think he goes back in time if I remember right. Oh, it's been a long time, but again, it's cool use of the Guardian. Cool. I did. Not, and then, uh, I did not know that. And then they did sequels to that one where Zotty Spock too? has no when Spock has the baby in the past. Remember that, that random oh, episode right. he goes in the past and meets up with that cave woman and hooks up? <laughs> yes, 
yes. That... And then uh, there's two novels that are set after that where Spock uses the Guardian to go back and check on his boy from that timeline. Oh, cool. I think it's called, uh, I don't remember what they're called. Some, yesterday, yesterday or yesteryears. Is in the, is I think the original Toss episode was All Our Yesterdays? I don't know, something like that. But th- that was one of the few episodes that I would call good in season three. <laughs> is that a season? That was a season three one? That's a season three one. I did go back and rewatch it a couple of years ago. Um, it was all right. <laughs> well, okay. Season three, the whole quality level needs to be adjusted a bit, or you wouldn't have anything to say that was good. <laughs> right. The Enterprise incidents, this one, all our yesterdays, or whatever they called it, were pretty good. Was good. Uh, and I'm sure there's another, a third, although none come to mind. Anyway. Yeah. So the the books that he was in was uh, Yesterday's Son. That was the one. Oh, Spock okay. Goes back and visits his. The son he ended up conceiving. Yeah. yeah. And then there was a second one. I don't remember what that one was. But those are pretty good books, too. If you go back and read. If you like the old stuff. Oh, yeah. Of course I do. I, I, they were by A.C. Crispin. Boy, I tell you, there are so many Star Trek novels. And they keep cranking them out. It's just amazing. Yeah. I guess that's another thing we could branch to. <laughs> is doing novels. But that's, a, that's an investment in time. Going through novels. Right. Yeah, and they're not so easy to synopsize. No, they're not. Although I'm sure you would find a way by cutting out 99% of what happened. You have to. Otherwise, <laughs> you have to. you'd just be the audiobook, and it would be like 12 hours long. Yeah. All right, anything else about this issue? I have two more things, then I'm done. Number one, I thought it was interesting that Seven gave his sonic screwdriver a name. He called it a multi-tool. multi-tool. I thought it was interesting that he, he referred to it by a specific term, but that's so generic. That is so boring compared to a sonic screwdriver. I just, I'm pretty sure sonic screwdriver's trademarked. I, I know it's taken, but I'm just saying it's a cool name. It, right. it would have been cool if Byrne could have come up with a name that was a little cooler than multi-tool. I mean, I've got a multi-tool, and it's like a plier thing. It's, that it, it's, you know, it's something you put on your belt, and it's just sure. not quite the same. As something they can do all the cool things that uh, Seven's multi-tool can do. Right. right. And the other thing I want to say is, when the inventor guy who ends up saving the day by shutting down the machine is talking about why he did that, it's just that he thought his world was over. And this is specifically what he says. I thought this oh, yeah. world was finished, environment wrecked, economy in turmoil, Worst president this nation has ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I picked up on that too. Yeah. Do you, do you think? Yeah, who was who was president in 2018? I don't uh, know. Whoever it was, Byrne must know. Well, well okay. Okay, so... <laughs> okay, so we were in the middle in 2018. Who were we in the middle of his presidency? Hmm. Uh, does it rhyme with Donald Trump? I think it does. So I just, I just yeah, thought I, it was I really thought that might have funny. been a little commentary. I think it was a little commentary. But the thing is, this is supposed to happen later in the 21st century, right? I mean... No, it's, a, it's an early 21st century, so... Well, okay, early, to okay. To 2018 would be considered early. 
Okay, so when they talk about World War Three in Star Trek, right, right, what did that? Well, so the eugenics war didn't that happen like in the nineties or something? Right. Okay, and then World War so World War Three did happen in the early twenty first century. So now, is that right? Um. Well, I mean, is is that? Is are they two different things? I was never sure if they were two different things or if they were both the same thing. Ah, uh, well, they label it as two separate things in this issue, right? Um, but well, it no, they say they might have been back to back or something right. like that, or maybe right. eugenics war led to World War Three. I don't know. Right, eugenics war definitely happened in the nineties. Okay, and then I mean, just to put it in perspective, first contact happened in twenty sixty three. Yeah, and the world was still pretty messed up then. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know when World War Three was supposed to happen. Okay. I guess it is to events because because Spock does refer to World War Three in one of the episodes. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't know when when that was supposed to happen. Yeah, I, I don't remember either. But you know, when you produce something in the middle, <laughs> in the sixties, seventies, whatever. Wow, the year 2000 sounds pretty far off. <laughs> I should be safe. <laughs> but then when you actually do get into the early uh, 21st century, 18 years into it, then it kind of uh, muddies the water a bit. I mean, because cause those cars we were seeing, they look like that could be completely a parking lot in, in 2018. Right. Completely. Right. Based on the cars that were, that were there. So you're saying World War Three shouldn't have happened yet? Cause, uh, well, no, 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 I'm not saying it shouldn't have. I'm just saying just because of the fact it hasn't, <laughs> in reality, it's the kind of thing that uh, I thought was further into the 21st century, but maybe not. Maybe it did happen uh, in, in the Star Trek universe already. Right. You know, well, in I our look- time period. Yeah, so I looked it up according to... Uh memory beta okay and it says and they're saying that it happens in like 2020s and stuff like that 2026 okay 2024 that's pretty close 2053 oh 2053 well Well, i mean they're kind of all over the place because different you know it's there's not a definite date okay okay so okay but not 2018 so yeah shouldn't have yeah so they shouldn't have been that surprised when they showed up in the early 21st century and right our day and time because it made it sound like in our time and they showed it that's where spot that's where uh scotty and uh uhura and uh mccoy and palamas they were in the ruins of world war three right right Uh, and i never but kirk and company they go to what appears to be uh, more or less modern day 2018 right so we're, I okay, so they're different. They're in different parallel universes. So Scotty and company went to our version, but somehow Kirk and Spock got swept to an alternate parallel version. Right. Okay. Yeah, and and the way they were talking, they definitely expected the world to be pretty pretty gnarly looking exactly, in twenty eighteen. Right. So I mean, right. would you consider twenty twenty six still mid? mid or early um i, I would call it early 20s. but pretty close to mid but i still call it early well, i guess if you're talking about 100 years 
It's yeah, I mean, years. it would still be. It's in the first yeah, 25%. Yeah, it's 25%. Yeah, so I don't know. But yeah, they shouldn't have expected it to be that messed up, I don't think. Yeah. So, anyway, there are yeah, just some things point. that are not 100% clear to me. But, but the main thing is <laughs> that had to be a Trump reference. Had to be. Oh, oh, definitely. definitely. Any way you look at it. Okay. And, it. and speaking of I'm the done. inventor thing, when they were, you know, getting the readings and they were walking into the basement, they were like, it seems to be emitting from over here. I really wanted to see just a, a PC running with a PowerPoint. <laughs> I mean, not PowerPoint, uh, Photoshop. Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> and that this, like, be John Burns' house. Uh-huh. And, and then he'd be the inventor that's like, what are you doing in my house? I was and in, then Burn you know, comes down the stairs with a shotgun? Yeah, exactly. Or, or he's just like, I was drawing me some comics. What are you guys doing? Y'all came out of the page. He's the old prospector. What's the old prospector doing here? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was really wondering if maybe that's where they were going to go with that. Somehow they went from the Trek universe to the real universe. Mm-hmm. Almost like in that episode of Deep Space Nine where you find out that Bernie was writing all those Deep Space Nine short stories in the 40s. Oh, right, right, right. Huh. Benny. Benny was Benny. Not Bernie. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Anyway, any more you ready for the cage? I'm done. I'm done. All right, let's do the cage. The cage. For a synopsis of the cage, go watch it. Exactly. So this one was July 2016? Did I get that right? Uh, it was... July 2016. Yeah. Okay, there you go. And I think it's, it's Huh? 16, yeah, you're right. Okay. And it's all the same people, of course. Produced by Neil Yutaki, editor by Ted Adams. I think yeah. that's but it's still just jump. Right. So the cover is a nice montage of a bunch of clips from the original, the first pilot of Star Trek. We've got four versions of Mina, which was kind of cool. At first, it kind of threw me off that all four versions of Mina were there. And I was thinking, what, did they change it somehow? And it's like, no, no, Byrne just wanted to make sure that all, all the versions of her were, were on the cover. So I was like, okay, that's cool. And then uh, they've got Yeoman Colt and then a surprise-looking Spock and a determined-looking Dr. Boyce and an impassive-looking number one and then a really big Telosian. You know, with an outstretched arm, and he's kind of looking over them all. And then uh, one of my favorite sequences are included in here, and I'm glad they did it. It's very spectacular. It's when that ground-based laser, phaser, whatever, cannon thing was being fired up and transferring the entire ship's power into a blast against uh, that mountain top entry into the Telosian Down Under. And uh, I always love that scene. So they got it here. Very cool. And then they got that uh, Rigel 7 planet, you know, kind of like Citadel, alien warrior guy, castle, whatever. And then the Enterprise, of course, is in, I guess he's in orbit around Talos 4. They got a blue-purple light pastel planet behind the uh, Enterprise. And then, you know, some stars. That's the cover. Yeah, it looked good. Yeah, Uh, it was good. Tons of cutting and pasting. The Orion looks way taller than everybody else. Oh, right. Is she supposed to be taller? No. They're just trying to fit her. They're just trying to fit her in the... I think it's another thing where comic book artists just need to fit people. (laughs) With their cutting and pasting. Right. Just just makes her look so much taller than the ones that she does. She looks like an Orion giant. A sexy dancing... Like a jolly green giant. Perhaps a jolly green giant. Oh, yes, yes. 
Quite nice. That outfit. Yeah. Well, All yeah, right. that outfit is a little bit like that, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Anyways, so how do you want to tackle this, kid? Well, whatever comments. I mean, because I know you and I have seen this story a dozen times. Originally, as part of the two-parter menagerie, but then also they did actually broadcast in a special kind of thing. They actually broadcasted uh, the cage, the original pilot, right. um, and then of course it's it's available on DVDs and stuff. Exactly. So there's a variety of different uh, ways you could have seen it, either cut up piecemeal within Menagerie or the entire thing, which does have extra footage in the original pilot. Uh, so either way, we know what the story is. So now we the, got a third way to ingest the same story. Well, yeah, but it's it's pretty much the pilot with just right. they for length for whatever reason. There's just a you know you can't put the whole thing in the comic book. So <laughs> so they it's right. pretty much just a cut down version because I don't I didn't spot anything that was new. Did you spot Nothing, anything that was new? I didn't spot anything that was new. No. Okay, okay. And in fact, the only thing I really noticed was the things they cut out, which was references to like time warp. Spock using hand gestures to control the controls. Uh, you know, you can't. They didn't do anything with like his arm moving with to show that that's how he was changing the telescreen or anything like that. And uh, they cut out his smiling bits. <sighs> Seems like everything that would have contradicted what was in Trek later didn't make the cut. Okay, which I'm totally fine with. Yeah, they got to cut out something. So he's he's just continuing with the continuity. Right. Or making it more in alignment with future continuity. But yeah, I was really hoping for like an extra scene or something. That, uh, <laughs> like again, like what I said earlier, it's just like this really happened, but it was just kind of off screen and you didn't right. see it. You know? But no, I mean, almost word for word, everything's exactly what was in the pilot. Right. One thing that I love that they put in, the first page has four panels, panoramic kind of panels. So they're very wide and, and not that tall. And stacked on top of each other because it's showing you a video sequence the way the original pilot started. So you get to see the the shot of the Enterprise from the outside and you're zooming in to the mighty starship. And they magically, back in the 60s, <laughs> did, a, did a beautiful cut and paste job uh, showing actual footage inside the Enterprise bridge. And they just kind of pasted it right on the dome. <laughs> of this ship and it looks really schlocky but I love that and then and then, so that's how they took you inside the ship established where the bridge was on this mighty starship so I think that was pretty cool it did its job but I gotta say the cut and paste of the oval cut video was mm-hmm. kind of schlocky if you really look at it yeah agreed but I love that. I mean, it was a great but, establishing shot to, to introduce you to the Enterprise and where lots of the action happens. Right. I mean, and it never really matched up as far as the camera angle. Mm-hmm. Never, it never really matched up. It was like, you're going, you know, straight into the top, but mm-hmm. they're off to the side already, you know, because that's where the camera was when they right. filmed the bridge. Right. But, you know, I was watching it as you know, a fan in the 80s and 90s watching mm-hmm. it for the first time. Not somebody that would have been watching it brand new back in the 60s. But I think that shot's in the that shot's in the menagerie too, right? Pretty sure. Is it? It could be. Yeah. I don't remember. I think it's great, and it should be. If it wasn't, right? Because it's just a great establishing thing. It's kind of it's kind of cool, but schlocky. Yeah, must have been a lot of work. Yeah. Rewatching the beginning, or not rewatch, rereading it from here, I found it 
and I didn't remember this necessary, but I found it very interesting that they were so, the crew was so unfamiliar with such primitive things as radio waves that it would be heading towards the ship at light speed and they would like, what is it? Uh, what, ooh, what is it? Uh, it could be something physical that could be threatening the ship. And it's like, come on, give me a break. I mean, they even call it subspace radio at times, don't they? Right, yeah. Um, so, and, and for short range, did they not use radios? I mean, communicators? I mean, for short range? I don't know, but whatever. It just seemed a little ridiculous, but whatever. That's fine. Well, they were talking to kids from the 60s that might not have known how radio worked. <sighs> okay. <laughs> kids and adults. I think they wanted to hit everybody. Sure. Now, that's a good point. Yeah, because they really make a big deal. We're about to get hit. Exactly. It's just, it's just a radio. Oh, it's just a radio <laughs> wave. Oh, oh, is that all? Okay. That okay. Boy, I really I feel like an idiot. Thought. I didn't realize that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. Do you have an observation? About that? No. no uh, about anything? Again, I really don't. I mean, it's just the, it's just okay. the pilot. So okay, so I'm going to keep going. You have stuff. You go for it. Okay, so... I wanted to comment that I really like the Away Mission jackets. Yeah, they're always good. They're cool. I like the look. I kind of like the Taws movie, double-breasted kind of look to them. I think the fabric looks cool. And I love the harness underneath. So, you know, you, you got your phaser and other equipment kind of harness thing underneath that I think is very cool looking. And I just, I just think that's all very cool. You could wear that jacket now and... Not- and nobody would know you. Not stuff, right? yeah, you wouldn't stick out too much. Maybe the braid, but um, yeah, it's yeah, you could. Unlike some of the other weight jackets that they wear. Well, the one they Definitely use in Wrath of Khan was yeah. a bit over the top, especially when Kirk has the collar flipped up and he looks like Ming, the merciless. Anyway. But this makes so much more sense. I mean, in the, the ongoing Taws series, they just, you know, they just beam down in T-shirts. Hey, everybody. <laughs> you know, no matter what, everybody's in T-shirts. That's the true. idea of having, I mean, okay, if it's tropical, sure. Just go, go down with your, t- your shirt on. But in a lot of cases, it makes, I don't know, it makes more sense to have a jacket on. Anyway, I think. I think you're right. I love seeing the nipples on the Enterprise. And the the ample nacelle nipples. You always call them that. <laughs> I think we call them that. I mean, when you because quite frankly, I did not ever notice that the original Enterprise from the first pilot had those little like radio or something piece of metal coming out the out of the front of them. I never noticed that before. Right. And you're the one that made me aware of it. And I thought you called it a nipple. Nope. You called it a nipple. Okay. And you've well, called it that for 10 years, Ken. Well, when you look at the red part and then the thing coming out, it's almost more like a breast with a very pointy nipple. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it, Burn has a nice shot of the Enterprise and it looks great. Looks that great. looks good. With its complete with ample nacelle nipples. Okay, great. I always loved the Citadel on Rigel 7, you know, that, uh, mm-hmm. that, because uh, there's just, uh, there's a matte painting and they have that matte painting in this issue. I think it's great. So they show Pike walking towards 
this almost Middle Eastern looking castle or whatever you'd like to call it. And then this big, huge moon in the background. At least I assume that's a moon. It's, it's um, pretty. It's just very pretty. I love it. Love it. Love it. Beautiful. And I got a comment on the on the fake teeth in the big actor that's playing the Rigelian warrior that fights Pike. It's like, mm-hmm. God, that mouthpiece always looks so fake, making the whole making his whole face kind of stick out more. And it it was more laughable to me always than than frightening. Yeah, I could see that. That's my comment. That's what I, I always thought of it. I don't remember the actor. Um, no. But, but uh, I do remember him looking pretty gnarly. <laughs> big and gnarly. And I'm sure he had elevator shoes and things like that, but he was pretty big and pretty nasty looking. And the teeth, I mean, y- you see a close-up of the teeth here in, in the sure. comic. And the teeth look really nasty, like decayed and, and broken. So that's all cool. It's just that how much it... It stuck, made the guy's mouth stick out. See, that's the part I'm not... Anyway. So, are you a big fan of all the sound effects? The thuds and the crack? Oh, yeah. Oh, that that Byrne did with lettering and stuff? Right. Yeah. Well, we we always love that when when Byrne does that. But, yeah, but during that fight, it's like, that's that's pretty much the whole whole panel, is the (laughs) sound effect and then the picture of what's happening is in the background. Right. Which I'm okay with. Which I'm completely okay with. Cool. Uh, I brought it up on the cover, but they got a real nice panel here, which is showing the ground-based laser cannon. And, you know, with all the different color, the bright colors and everything coming off of it. And if you look at the panel and the the frame capture that they have, that they, that they put in here, in the upper right-hand portion of the special effect which is showing like white hot in the middle and then red towards the outside. There's a little bulb of like yellow or orange. The, the skull? The skull, exactly. And yeah, Was that in the show? I, I don't... It probably was, but I don't remember it. I don't remember ever freeze framing. And, I, and, I, and you're watching the video of it, I don't remember seeing a skull in there. But I definitely see a skull here. Yeah, I see it too. It's pretty cool. So you see that the two eyes and the nose very clearly. You may not see as much the mouth, but uh, the the two eyes and the nose look very clear to me. And and the outline of the of the skull, or the top of the top of the skull looks pretty cool. So is that like a subliminal thing they slipped in, or that just maybe that's you know Burn slipped it in because uh, he didn't have much else to do. Because <laughs> he was just taken exactly. <laughs> okay. So, uh, may I make one comment? Please. And it really doesn't have anything to do with this issue, but it, it drives home uh, the actor, uh, Jeffrey okay. Hunter. Oh, Jeffrey Hunter, yes. Yeah, so every time it does like a close-up of his eyes, mm-hmm. uh, it makes me think of the King of Kings movie where he played ah, Jesus, played and they Jesus. did a lot of like close-up on his eyes, yeah. staring intently at, at the viewer. Right. Um, so, I don't notice it that much when I'm watching the episode, but... Watching the steel frames here, I'm like, right. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's <laughs> Jesus. Just without the beard <laughs> and playing a different character. <laughs> <laughs> well, he used. he died youngish, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So there, were, I mean, I guess he was like probably in cowboy movies or something, and he was Jesus. 
And he was in Star Trek pilot. And then what else was he in? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't think of anything else. Um, yeah, but he does have uh, pretty intense eyes. So, And he wasn't prone to overacting like Shatner. <laughs> I'm yeah, glad I think... that. I saw a thing saying that the reason why he didn't come back for the second pilot was that uh, he was he signed on to do the first series because mm-hmm. it was like they gave him a time frame we're going to do a series and it's going to yeah. be made in this and but, but because it got delayed because they got the first pilot didn't get picked up that right. when they went back to film the second pilot uh, he would not commit to the first season of, of shooting so he just that's yeah. when they went with Kirk. A little more detail on that that I read. Who knows if it's 100% true or not. But supposedly it was, it was his wife that wanted him to pursue his movie career uh. and not TV. So why should you commit to a, a science fiction TV show? I mean, I don't know what she said. But, I mean, she thought, you know, no, you're a big time movie star. You know, keep with the movies. Mm, that's too bad. That's what I had read. I don't know. You know, supposedly. Unfortunately, he didn't make it big in the movies. I mean, he's in a lot well, of movies, but none yeah. of them are like he, he's not the headliner. No, no, he was. He he never became. I mean, the aside level from of... King of Kings, I mean, you can't top that one. Well, he <laughs> did play Jesus. He's definitely the headliner in that one. Yeah, he is. It's it's kind of focused on that character. But yeah, that's too bad. He's a good actor. I really enjoy him. I think he is too. Okay, so I got two more things. Go. I won't distract you anymore. Sorry. No, no, don't. No, 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 no. I want you to make this not be a monologue. Um, <laughs> Mina, as the sexy, and I do find her sexy, Orion slave girl, you know, doing her dance and things. And yeah. then obviously the three guys, you know, they have the nice uh, shots of the three guys, uh, Pike, and then some kind of a balding traitor or something. And then, then the other guy looks like he's part of Starfleet. Uh, like, I mean, they're all, like, looking at him like, oh, man. You know, very... They, they all look very, like, a lot of avarice. And they're really digging being bad boys in Pike's Trader Palace or whatever. And then seeing Mina do it. And right. the big thing, when Mina, like, confronts him, like, in that hallway. And, um, and they have it here, too. And then, like, Pike is looking at her and she's got the uh, torch in her hand. And then they show her a picture, and it's like, kawabunga. So, <laughs> so basically, she was, like, raping him, which she probably was going along with. And then, and then of course, it was interrupted. You know, it cut, cut the black or whatever. Other, you know, it cuts to the, what's happening on the Enterprise. But, and then when it comes back again, the Telosians are interrupting her and what she's doing with him. But uh, I think she was getting ready to do the dirty on him. That was yeah. sex was definitely implied. That's ooky. Well, is it ooky? Well, it's it's biological. It's just you know, biology against the other person's will. Yeah, that's ooky. Well, okay. I mean, do you really think it's against his will? <laughs> yes. Oh, oh. Okay. I mean, he wasn't married. I mean, he he knows he he's in a manufactured thing. It's not real. So you think he's just going to go for it? But it's like, well, no I'm, here, I'm here anyway. <laughs> I mean, I might, but no. I, are you, I bet he went for it, or was getting ready to go for it. Anyway. 
Okay, last thing. Very end. Okay. Just the, the last two panels as the story is over and the Enterprise is streaking off to the next adventure. I just want to point out that Pike did it first. Engage. Oh, is that what he says? Yes. So, nice. so really, Picard stole it from him. Now, mind you, Patrick Stewart did it great, but Pike is the first one that did it the engage. And I went back to the video and watched it again. Sure enough, engage. He says it. He says it. Well, that's another thing that uh, I guess uh, was stuck in Gene Roddenberry's mind. And he was like, I want him to use number one as a, <laughs> as a title and I want engage. Exactly. Exactly. There you go. And but I want uh, women but, on the bridge. Because, exactly. Uh, but but I want, yeah, women on the bridge with miniskirts. And, and men in dresses. There you go. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that was so weird in season one. Of TNG. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm done. Makes That's sense. Why not? <laughs> I'm glad they... I'm glad they got rid of the pajamas, the leotards, and uh, and and the dresses for men. Anyway, well, 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 you know, actually going into TNG a ways, there was a part where some of those formal officer outfits were kind of low. Oh, their their formal outfits were dresses. Yeah, only they yeah they had pants on, of course. Right. But still, that went so low. Cisco, Picard, Riker. Look kind yeah, of look definitely funky. Picard. Picard's always look like a little dress. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So one thing that I just liked uh, the denim shirt that Jeffrey Hunter's wearing when he's on the picnic. Okay. Uh, again, it's very contemporary. It's very seventies or sixties because it's not a style that you would wear now. But yeah. it doesn't look too futuristic that if you wore that in public today, people would think you're wearing a costume. Agreed. Yeah. So it's a it's a nice jacket. It's like uh, what are they? Do they call those Eisenhower jackets? I don't know. But it's mm. like, a, like a short one, and it's denim, and the collars look a little futuristic. But other than, the, other than that, it looks like a jean jacket. And it has no buttons or zippers. I mean, that's a, that's a main true. day to start to... That's true. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I enjoyed reading this book again. But it, like I said, it just didn't... Nothing new jumped out at me. No, nothing new. So that's cool. That's cool that he did it, but... Yeah, I wonder why he did it. Of all this, I mean, I guess, I mean, everybody who's reading this book has already seen the show. Yes. And maybe it's, well, maybe it's because unless you were around when they finally broadcast the original pilot, or if you didn't buy the DVD or Blu-ray or whatever that they just threw it on there, I mean, maybe you didn't see it. I don't know. I don't know. Or that was the start of Star Trek, and it was the 50th anniversary, so he really... If you're going to uh, play homage to the origins, you might as well go to the first book. Sure, yeah. Which maybe not everybody has seen as much, or at least other than the Menagerie version. But I like reading. I like reading adaptation, so yeah, it, it wasn't a waste for me. No, but a lot of adaptations. I, I would have rather had a new story. Yeah, like you said at the beginning, novel adaptations have a lot more detail than the original movie or TV show. Right. But there's none of that here. This is very by the book. Right. Yeah, and usually even comic book adaptations usually have a few things in because it's based usually on the original screenplays before mm-hmm. the finalized movie even comes out. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of alternate scenes or oh, deleted go. scenes. So. Sure. 
But because this one was made so much long after the episode had come out, <laughs> none of that. He didn't go back and find new footage or anything. To no. Copy and paste it. Nope. All right, but that was our last one, Ken. That was our last photo novel to date. Well, I'm sad it's the last ones, but I enjoyed this one. This this is a good episode. I, I enjoyed yeah, the comics. Both of them. Yeah. So um, if you're done, then you want to talk about what we're going to do next week real quick and then let everybody go? Let's do it. So next week we're going to just do two issues. We're going to do Star Trek Voyager 7's Reckoning issues one and two. Right. So it's four total? Yeah, four total. So we thought we'd just break it up into two even episodes as opposed to trying to shoehorn a third issue into each story. Cool. That's that's great. I'm just looking forward to seeing what did Seven ever do that deserves a reckoning. So I guess we'll find out. She did do some bad stuff with the Borg. Oh, when she was a Borg. Oh, is that is that what it's, it's talking about? I have no idea. I haven't read it. Well, like Picard, he had no choice. True. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it. I like these little mini-series that IDW does. and mm-hmm. hope they continue. I mean, they've now done a Deep Space Nine, Voyager. Come on, Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> they really should. That's a great corner of Star Trek them. Right. So Enterprise and Lower Decks now are the two Star Trek franchises that have never had a, a comic book. Well. There you go. We need both. A nice well, little comedy uh, Lower Decks miniseries would be pretty good. Yeah, and you've got your you've got your animation style all teed up for you. So now you have to do, you have to do is come up with a story and crank it out. Exactly. Um, Fill it with jokes. Exactly. Yeah, good jokes, please. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll be back next week with uh, some seven of nine. Thanks for joining us, everybody. On the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.